You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. Uh, Andrew is not with us today, but I am joined by a guest. And with me today is Enda McAvoy. Uh, Enda, thanks for taking the time to join me today. That's no problem whatsoever. So Enda, like for those of us who may not know you, you wouldn't mind giving us a quick introduction to yourself, perhaps? <laughs> um, yeah, so my name is Enda McAvoy. Um, I'm originally from uh, Virginia County Cavan, now live in Galway. I've been living in Galway for the last, well... I suppose uh, I was in Galway 20 years ago and um, now I've been kind of here on and off since then. And we currently own a restaurant called Loam in Galway which, uh, with me and my wife, Sinead. And you also have a second location that you opened? We do have a second location that we opened in the middle of the pandemic and it hasn't really sunk into my brain yet. It's a bakery. It's called Ain, which means bird, which is also my name as well. It's Aina in Irish. It's finding its wings now, now that the, the country's starting to open up again. Excellent. And... So obviously you, you've been in the food industry a while. Um, bit of a quick run through how you found yourself where you are, maybe your your background up to this point and so forth. I, I suppose I, I went to you know, I went to university uh, to study English and sociology. But before that, I had um, spent some time in Germany in uh, in Freiburg in the Black Forest, and I had a job in as a I was working as a kitchen porter there because uh, I, I went there to to be a trad musician and it didn't really work out that well. So um, I had to get a job and I got a job as a kitchen porter and then I ended up staying for a while. And um, I really enjoyed working in the kitchen, but I came back and anyway, I went to university and finished my degree. But after I left university, I just ended up working in kitchens until now. And um, it's worked out okay so far. <laughs> it's going okay for you? Yeah, it's going fine. Uh, it's feel, I can feel it in my back now, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose one of the reasons uh, we felt we might talk to you today is obviously Loam, quite acclaimed restaurant, won a lot of awards throughout the last few years, some of which you might be able to tell me in a minute. But one of the most interesting things, I think, about what you do is your sustainability approach. Yeah, we, um, I suppose when we opened up Loam first, uh, we wanted to, I suppose, explore the possibilities of, you know, having a, a low impact restaurant, like, and something that kind of adds to the, to the fabric of the community. So, um, we came across, uh, well, well, first of all, when we set up the restaurant, we, um, we kind of set up a network of, uh, farmers and growers and producers that we wanted to use. And we didn't really want to have like, you know, deal with the, uh, the big, big suppliers. So we wanted to deal with farmers direct, you know, we work with, uh, people that are kind of friends of ours, you know, um, which is Fergal Manu and Leaving Root Farm and Lockray and, um, uh, Ghana Seafood who kind of, he deals directly with fishermen. Um, cast mine farm for meat, etc. We've got Eamon Giblin that shoots game for us out in Clare, but this has all been um, well documented. But um, I suppose we, we, in doing this, we kind of came across uh, the Sustainable Restaurant Association in the UK, and with the lack of um, a sort of a similar support group, for want of a better word, in Ireland, we joined them, and we're the first restaurant in Ireland to get three stars from them. Which it's, it was quite an extensive audit that we had to go through to sort of like. Um, true, you know, like how you how you treat your staff, um, your your standing in the community, like if you're giving back to the community, uh, along with your kind of environmental footprint, um, an assessment, I suppose, of your your impact on the community, which we find really really um, informative and helpful, and they're they've been a good they've been a good community to deal with over the years. Yeah. And do you think you know you obviously had quite a background yourself? You'd worked other places, and then. Developing this approach, was there a lot of lessons learned along the way of how you might have to change for, you know, for other people listening who might be interested in, in going down that road? Um, well, yeah, I suppose like we wanted to, um, 
uh, set ourselves the challenge, I suppose, to uh, kind of only use Irish ingredients and then just to kind of explore what that means as well, like just only to use Irish ingredients. And, you know, what's the point of doing that? Is it just a sales pitch? Like, you know, um, how does it help people? Does it help people? Like, you know, um, does it help your community? In what way does it help your community? And ask all these questions of ourselves and then kind of like... Um, I suppose help that inform the way the restaurant runs, and 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 in doing that, and only using Irish ingredients, you have to work with the seasons, and you become um, closer attuned to, you know, like uh, people working in the in the hinterland and outside of the city itself, and um, kind of finding out what's going on outside of the few streets that you walk, like when you're in the city, because like I mean, restaurants exist in a city, you know, so um, you kind of have to appreciate what goes on outside the city as well, because that's what feeds the city, you know, so yeah. I suppose that's the funny thing, isn't it? The, the people who serve the food are often quite removed from where the food is made. Yeah, and quite often, um, the uh, like the city agricultural system is set up um, to serve city dwellers as opposed to rural dwellers. You know, yeah, that's where all the money is. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And tell me this, then you you also I saw reading on your website earlier on. It's not just how you source the stuff, but you mentioned that farm in Lochray, I believe, yeah. and some of your food waste goes back out to them as well. Ah, uh, yeah, we, um, yeah, so like we, we try to take everything into into account. So, um, any of the the um, it's the bane of fertile life, actually. <laughs> um, we have two two bins, like one a commercial waste of compost that goes into goes into the whatever the city bin people, and then uh, our kind of leafy waste compost goes back out to the farm that goes into growing the vegetables again which is quite nice but um it's like a big especially in the summertime because there's a lot of like um green leafy stuff that we just can't process uh like we try to process as much as possible but um a lot of the green leafy stuff ends up coming back into this bin that we have to carry we have to lift into <laughs> this van and then Fergal drives it back and then he's no one to help him take it out of the van he's always cursing it and anyway, he hates that bin but it, it ends up with really good compost though but that's the joy actually of um do you know, dealing with, especially vegetable suppliers, I found the, the most interesting because, um, you can get like, you know, parts of a vegetable that I know it's really nerdy, like, but you get parts of a vegetable that you wouldn't normally get, like this, like the, the tops and the flowers of carrots and, um, the, the stalks of lettuce and stuff like that, you know. So that was, um, and I still find it interesting, like the, just the whole life cycle of plants, like, you know, and mm. how they grow and how they taste at different points in their, in their, and we're like seven years now dealing with this and I'm still kind of like, Fascinated Find by stuff out. Yeah, yeah, I too. I'm quite fascinated by the whole thing, like, you know. Yeah. And you kind of consciously keep your menu quite small, or at least the, the ingredient list yeah. quite small as well? Well, um, yeah, we just have a set, we have a tasting menu. So, um, obviously, we can deal with any dietary requirements ahead of time, but the reason we have a tasting menu is just there's less waste then, you know, in them, um, because we don't have to, like, we know what we're dealing with ahead of time. And obviously, that's, I mean, it, that's not going to suit every restaurant, you know. Um, it, it just suits our model the way we are now, because it's like, you know, a fine dining model. But, um, I suppose there are ways of uh, kind of for restaurants to reassess how they, you know, present their wares and that they can have a kind of a smaller menu that changes a bit more often and um, that you're not stuck to the one thing and putting pressure on systems that just are kind of completely overworked. Like, you know, mm. I think a bit more, um, I don't know, systematically about how. Yeah. So it must have been pretty gratifying to have won, was it the best restaurant in Ireland award in 2019? <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. That was good crack. That was a good day out. There was a... Uh, yeah, it was a complete surprise, but um, yeah, that was good. It's good day out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, well merited in fairness. I mean, I know I've I've eaten in there a few times myself, more than a few times, I think. But. Uh, it's great for Galway. Yeah, um, and especially like the Galway dining scene has, has improved so much, like since I got here first. So yeah, um, it's uh, it's great. There's loads of great um, operators now in Galway. And uh, then talking about your new location, which you almost forgot about there a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, what we did like. Um, 
uh, we just before the pandemic, which would have been like whatever, just like Christmas before the world ended. Um, the the Druid uh, Theatre got in touch with us and asked, "Would be interested in taking over the restaurant that's next door to them?" They just recently bought the lease back, and um, we had a look at it. Uh, we weren't like we weren't fully interested. Uh, Initially, because I didn't want another kind of nighttime operation, but we went to have a look at it, and it just seemed so. The the building itself is just so beautiful, like you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, we always kind of wanted to open a, a bakery of some description, so we did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the building itself is joined onto the Druid Theatre, the McLally Theatre, and then um, they broke through. So there's a door between the two. So when there's like a play on, they can open up. And what we did was we opened up a it's a bakery slash wine bar slash cafe. <laughs> it's um that's the thing about uh opening up a business in the middle of a pandemic you can be whatever you want to be yeah yeah well it's i was just talking to somebody about this last night and i was like you can, you can do whatever you want yeah. right now and get the public on board yeah whereas if you tried to do that maybe a year and a half ago there'll be a lot more pushback mm, yeah it would have been different it's uh it was definitely interesting like it was it was definitely a challenge like you know yeah and it's like this is like i'm not working there in the kitchen it's christine walsh that works in the kitchen and uh, in the bakery is keen mooney and uh lauren gudicott so um like it's all testament to them that it's kind of like gone the way it's gone like the, there's definitely been a lot more pressure on the bakery side of things than though we would have we would have thought you know uh just because of the the nature of the pandemic and we were the only kind of show on the road like that uh, down that end of town like so uh but it's shown that you know there is a there's an appetite for what we have and um yeah it's just it's it's been an interesting process which is that's business isn't it like i mean yeah. it's all learning isn't it? i suppose that uh, sourdough has soared in popularity anyways i last know <laughs> i thought everyone would be sick of it this stage like but um no it's good bread sales are good yeah and um like we've actually since um we've had to because the kitchen is quite small uh so we moved the bakery operation up to the back kitchen in loam because there's the footprint we have in loam is a lot bigger and the way that the bakers are going to work uh they're going to work at nighttime and then the chefs in loam are going to work in the daytime so it'll be a nice crossover and it'll be quite interesting for people that work there as well like you know to be working like in a bakery so and you've found it two very different kind of setups of business to run daytime and nighttime yeah it's difficult to say because it's not like, it's not real at the yeah, moment it's yeah. not really like you know it's like it's, it's definitely a different setup um i suppose like that it's like it's a daytime operation um we're kind of it's i suppose it's kind of a cliche but like we're, we're we're building the plane as we fly it like you know yeah. so i think we all are at the moment anyway well, yeah it's, that's it like everyone's kind of like it's like conversation terminating cliche, but sure, it is what it is. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And then, because you must hate spare time, I believe you're also doing a master's <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I um, it was last April, um, because I, I'd, I'd wanted to go back to college for a while, and um, last April, um, Sinead pointed out this master's to me in uh, NUIG in the Ryan Institute, and it was, um, an MSc in climate change, agriculture and food security. And uh, I thought that'd be interesting. So I signed up for that. And um, I've been doing that for the last, whatever, six months or so. So I just had to write a thesis now and I'll be done. Oh, just that? Well, well it's not actually, like it's not a big long thesis or like that, but yeah. it's, like, it's long that, enough. <laughs> any thesis is long yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And has that fed into like what you've learned so far through that? Has it kind of changed any of your viewpoint and how you operate in your kind of a sustainable approach? Uh, yeah, it's like... To be honest, it's been, 
I suppose it's given me a language to kind of speak more confidently about uh, the issues that I was uh, kind of concerned about anyway. Like, and um, it's, there's a, there's a, there's actually a really good podcast that is called Optimism and Despair. Is it Optimism? Outrage and Optimism is called. Um, and uh, Christina Figueres, she was the, um, the chairwoman, I think, of the UNFCCC, which is the Climate Change the Paris Agreement uh, people. She brought the Paris yeah. Agreement to the to the uh, end goal, you know. Um, but it's her podcast on, you know, climate change and policy and stuff like this, like, you know. But I just thought it's a good title, like it is um, Outrage and Optimism, that there is, like, it is the whole situation is, uh, it seems quite desperate, you know. But there is optimism as well. Like, you know, yeah. There are a lot of great people in the sphere working, like, you know, and uh, doing great things. But it is, um, it is very time sensitive, like, you know. And would you think that, you know, for anyone listening who is interested in that, is there any kind of key takeaways from the way people may operate their business or even even at home of how to improve that would make a, a big change if we all added up? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, as citizens, um I suppose become more informed about what your country's doing as a as a member of the EC. Uh, you know, with the and getting and reaching the, the Paris Agreement goals, like you know. Um, but like on a I suppose on a base level, um, there are you know issues with the diet, you know, um, food systems, uh, you know, like food waste is a big thing like it's the they say that like food waste is like the uh, uh, if it was a country it would be the third largest country in the world like as an emitter like you know which is, which is insane like yeah, you, know, yeah. you know the kind of pandemic of like uh, malnutrition and overnutrition like obesity and stuff like this which is kind of clogging up health systems and um, you know it's it's quite uh, all encompassing um, like I mean this as citizens um, I suppose it's a duty to become more informed about what's going on and it's not that easy either because there's a lot of um, conflicting information uh, information yeah yeah, that it's very hard to get through it's quite dense uh, you know you don't know what's true what isn't true Um, like it it, it is a hot topic but it's very hard to kind of see the wood for the trees like you know so um, and that's what I kind of even from doing the masters, like I found that you know, um, even looking at like peer-reviewed literature, there's a lot of like uh, contradiction, and yeah. and there's no time for that much contradiction, like you know. So I suppose that's what you mentioned. It's quite time-sensitive, really, isn't mm, it? It's yeah. something that we need to action pretty quickly. Yeah, um, that's like uh, yeah, because we've to the twenty thirty is the first sort of like um, milestone, uh, milestone, and up to twenty fifty, like you know. But um, and it's not just like. This, this, it's the issues of, um, I suppose, uh, climate justice and intergenerational justice as well. Like you know, um, in the sense that you know, it's people that don't have the right to vote now are they going to be the most affected? You know, yeah. like our children. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, you have a responsibility in that sense as well. Like you know, and there is no sort of like this, you know the short termism in in politics uh, in the West anyway. Uh, There's a lot more long term. Yeah, uh, it's a cycle of a couple of years. Yeah, and like it's not, again? Yeah, they're not really thinking about the kind of the the long term of the um, the issues. You know, so yeah. there's a thing that I um, saw here. This isn't the thing that I was reading this morning. It was before, just before I came out. Um, See, one in nine people will still suffer from chronic undernourishment, and half a billion people are obese, and one third of all the food produced is lost or wasted. And in addition, the ecosystem services on which our food systems depend are being degraded, not least by the way we produce our food now. 
which is uh, undermining our ability to feed ourselves in the future. And that's like quite a stark uh, yeah. you know, figures there, you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because actually myself and Andrew, we haven't released that episode yet, but we talked a bit about like the food industry and, and so forth. The last episode, and we're talking about how we've gotten to a pretty broken food system through the desire for convenience. It's, yeah, it's, it is, it's convenience, but I, it's the way people approach food as well, though. Like, I mean, it's the way that, um, especially over the last 20 years or so, um, I suppose traditions have been lost and, um, it's convenience in a lot of things, though, as well. But with the advent of technology, though, as well, I mean, that's going to change the whole... It's going to be a game-changer for um, for food systems mm. as well, like, you know. So, I mean, it's not just... Like, yeah, it's not as simple as that. Like, that is just about convenience. Like, but, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. But people don't really... Like, you can see now that people are interested in how their food is produced and where their food comes from. And, um, and like... It's not just going to be as simple as going to extreme localism, like, you know, but people are still going to want nutmeg and vanilla and yeah, I mean, things yeah. like this, like, you know, so there's still going to have to be like a global food system and a trade in commodities and stuff like that, like, you know, and there has to be some sort of um, stability in that as well. Like, you see the way the prices of all commodities now have gone haywire, like, you know. So, um, yeah, but like, and that's only set to continue, but um, yeah, they're definitely like, it, it has to be an overhaul of a. Uh, a lot of things and I think one of the main problems is that um, a lot of these sort of like um, thoughts to kind of like to fix these problems they're people are thinking in silos you know that they're not thinking in a systems way like you know yeah. or, or communicating with each other which is uh, which is I think it's a bit of a problem well there's probably a lot of good ideas out there but yeah, well, there needs yeah. a bit more joined up thinking or maybe but that's that's probably as you said. There's so much information to get through, and so many barriers for these people to kind of come together to form. And God knows, it won't be the people in, at the top who are going to be uh, interested in those kind of policies. Yeah, but the, I suppose that's why there's um, it's like the whole uh, thing about the Paris Agreement that it's it's encouraging countries to um, put their best face forward and and uh, commit to things uh, over a five year period or whatever, like you know, and then like. I suppose uh, shame each other into doing as best they can. Do you know, well, that's kind of yeah, what it is. Yeah. That's the way it's kind of set up. Like you know, um, like there isn't any. They're not going to really get a slap in the face. They don't do what they say that they're going to do, but what they will be kind of. Um, other countries can like you know refuse to trade with them or whatever. Like you yeah. know, I don't know what way it's going to work out. Like, but um, it, it seems to be like the. No, the NDCs that the countries have put in like um, seem to be quite ambitious, like you know, especially the UK and America. Like so, um, hopefully it's going in the right direction. And like, there seems to be some real movement um, and real positivity, like you know. And then on, say we say a more personal level, like you know, no more than myself, you've young kids. Have you kind of approached a different way with them to try and teach them about food, or how? How? What's your thoughts on that as a parent? Um, yeah, they're uh, so we have four kids, uh, two boys and two girls, and um, like our, our eldest is a vegetarian now. Uh, he's been for the last three years or so, and he's like he's twelve. Um, and I can't remember why he decided to do that. I know Sinead was a vegetarian for years, but um, not actually. It was since she became pregnant with him that she started eating meat again. But um, <laughs> the other ones, they're just um, they all have their own relationship with food that you can't just, like. God, so everyone has the same battles at, at mealtime, like you oh know? yeah. Especially when you have like uh, four people uh, who have very strong opinions about what they will or will not eat and, yeah. and at what time. Um, it's all going to be a bit of a battle. But like, yeah, I think it's important to, to all sit down at the same time and have a meal, like you know. Yeah. Um, and 
kind of even if that's four different meals even if, <laughs> even if well no you can't do that we it's very odd time yeah. uh, we'd have four different meals now or any different meals you all have to eat the same thing because i, I i'd prefer to just put up with the battle to be honest like you know yeah yeah because you have to kind of um like when, when finn was younger and that's the eldest um he's he was he always had a well he, he had a pretty adventurous diet like and um he'd eat anything like you know and that was because Whatever, for whatever amount of years he was the only child like you know and yeah. the next child comes along she gets away with a bit more and then the next one comes along and they get away with a little bit more like you know but Finn has always been like a pretty adventurous eater like and you know? it's kind of like they're all kind of get to that point eventually like you know yeah um, but yeah no, they're, they're good and you know they help in the garden and uh, plant vegetables and stuff then whenever we have time to plant anything and uh, yeah. they do come out to the farm with us and um, yeah no they're, they're and like this year with the lockdown it was great to spend a bit more time with them so like we went fishing and stuff and uh, kind of stuff that I used to do when I was younger. They yeah. never get a chance to like so. Yeah, I suppose there's a bit less of that. I know that even for me, like when I was a kid, it was a lot of, um, not that we'd even use them so much ourselves, you know, give them most of the way to the neighbours. We had, my parents were growing, I think we talked about this before, they'd grow everything from potatoes, rhubarb, lettuce, whatever it might be. Whereas you don't really see that much of that, I think, at the moment. Small holdings like um, people growing vegetables in the back garden. I do. Like, I mean, you see, I notice it a lot. Um, a lot of people have polytunnels around here, especially out in the countryside where we live. Um, uh, yeah, I see a lot of people, especially, I think you'd have like a tradition of people, you know, planting their potatoes in Paddy's Day and uh, yeah. getting the first crop of new potatoes and stuff like that. And so maybe not, you know, um, being entirely self-sufficient, but it, I think it's entirely sufficient to just plant a few things if you can a year, like, you know, just yeah, take to, a bit of strain off the system. And- well, not even, not even to take a strain off the system. It's just for your own mind, I think, just to see something grow and um, appreciate how long it takes and... And how that sometimes it doesn't work, like you know, yeah. and that, that's the same for everybody. It's not just you, like you know. So, and I, that's what I kind of find interesting is like working with them, um, Fergal and Manny. That like with livestock or for livestock farmers, they. I'm not saying that it's easier, but it's more straightforward, uh, in the sense that like you know, um, you have a cow, and the cow is inseminated and then they have another cow and then the whole dairy system is a bit more complex than that but like that's where your meat comes from and whatever like you know but with vegetables it's like, um, I don't know if this uh, a lot more area taken up um, uh, there's a lot of time involved for something that has very little value yeah. uh, in people's mindsets like you know um, and I find that quite interesting and you must have found so you opened in Loam in 2013 2014 oh um 2014, I think. <laughs> yeah. 2013, 2014, yeah. We can, we can look it up on the website afterwards. Something like that, <laughs> yeah. It was October, I remember that. Yeah, like a huge transition, I'd imagine, in the desire for vegetarian and obviously vegan and gluten-free and so forth over that time. Yeah, um, yeah. The amount, like especially over the last few years, the amount of people that come in as vegan um, is uh, extraordinary. Um, and Well, there was always like... Like especially over the last 20 years or so, the growth in people who have dietary requirements, like, you know, like, mm. um, or allergies or whatever, like, you know, be they real or imagined. Um, and there, a lot of them can be to do with, like, um, I suppose, like, diets or that, that are, like, I suppose, for want of a better word, fads, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, I think veganism, the, the movement, I suppose, is very strong, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, um, there's a, there's a variety of reasons people choose 
the the lifestyle, mm. you know, um, be it for like you know environmental reasons, health reasons, you know, um, the yeah. animal welfare reasons, you know. So um, I think uh, I think it's here to stay, you know. Oh, usually so. And I mean, obviously, being the west of Ireland, we have huge incidence of um, celiac disease as well. So the gluten free is a massive aspect of of businesses here. Mm. But would you think that, from your own experience, that the actual preparation and management of food for vegan diets is any is directly any more low impact than um definitely um consuming less meat than we have been consuming uh is highly recommended because like they're like say if everyone everyone has aspiration to reach the kind of normative effect of like say the US right mm. and the US level of consumption of meat and if everyone reaches that level well panjacks you know yeah. so but everyone like why 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 should they lose out on eating all that meat you know so yeah. but, but there has to be some sort of alternative everyone has to kind of cut back on because it's also not healthy like no yeah. um so which is why there's such a huge growth in the whole kind of analog meat um side of things you know yeah um and like so the first person that cracks uh, how to build a steak? Yeah, is like yeah, yeah. Can take over the world. They can. Have you tried any many of those products yourself? Or? Um, I, uh, I've tried. I've tried some like analog meats or burgers or whatever. Yeah, but um, yeah, they're they're fine. I mean, I I, I don't really have a huge desire to yeah. eat something that's trying to be something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, in saying that. I suppose the important thing that what they're doing is to like if they can win over meat eaters. Yeah, then and I that's guess that's great, that's you know? what it's about, really, because yeah. you know it seems a bit strange to want to emulate, as you said, something else. Yeah. If you've made the decision and ready to go that route, but maybe if it transitions some people over, exactly, yeah. yeah. Or if they, you know, if there's meteors and they feel like they have to have that texture or juiciness in their mouth, then um, you know they can like have that kind of analog meat uh, option three yeah. days a week or whatever, like you know. Yeah. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there is it's definitely going to be a place for it, like you know, um, but not to the. Not to the detriment of like um, eating like you know pulses and vegetables and you know um, and 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 like supporting locally grown stuff like you know mm. um, there's a there's a book that I read there um, recently it's called uh, Small Farm Futures by Chris Smage 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 S M A J E S M A J E um, but like I suppose he puts forward this um, hypothesis I suppose that um, everyone kind of works in a small farm yeah you know um, and the transition. Um, from the way we are now to um, I suppose more people being involved in uh, small farm production and stuff like that you know yeah. it's quite interesting um, it takes into account like you know um, the way that uh, cities were constructed with farms on the outside like you know and there was like you know uh, ever increasing circles of like um, what was grown in which circle uh, instead of having that having like you know small farms uh, around, around around, like you know yeah. that kind of serve themselves along with serving the the urban population as well like mm. you know? um and i thought that was quite a, kind of interesting and it is suit like um somewhere like galway you know mm. um so you spent some time in norma am i correct yeah that's right yeah yeah and what was the what was the culture like over there i mean i know that they source quite local as well don't they yeah that was in uh and nine i think yeah um, so long ago, like yeah. <laughs> um, it's before kids. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we had Finn, like, um, yeah. but um, oh yeah, the mats, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we had a restaurant here in Galway, um, called Sheridan's on the Docks, and uh, then after that closed, um, 
I was just looking for something to do and uh, I got in touch with people in Noma and I went over there for a little while um, and um, it was a really interesting experience because they were they were a young enough restaurant as well like you know mm. but they've been like you know catapulted to the best restaurant in the world like you know but they yeah. were just a team of young fellas and young ones that were you know yeah. um, dealing with local suppliers and yeah. um, they had, like it was uh, I suppose like, it was haphazard and organised at the same time you yeah. know um, as only the Danes can do like you know and it's a really great experience yeah. really good people really good energy and when you came back to Ireland then and you know did you find it obviously you made it quite successful that you got the sustainability award but trying to reconcile some of those concepts that I presume might have come from some part of, of Noma and your own kind of approach reconciling that with the, the food industry and, and hospitality in Ireland must have been quite the challenge um, so when um, we had uh, Sheridan's on the docks it was just before the crash you know, 2008 like you know so we had mm. it was open for like three years or two no it was two years or something like that. but in that time um there was a kind of a, a small kind of a, a movement of like small farmers uh, outside Galway, you know, mm. that were kind of coming in trying to supply restaurants. So that's how we came across like um, uh, Castlemine Allen's and Castle Brendan Allen came in and said, like, do you want to buy some free range pork? And I've been looking for free range pork for ages. Like, you know, so, yeah. And there wasn't, there was, it was very hard to find um, suppliers back then, you know. And yeah. there's people like Steve Gould who was supplying vegetables and stuff like that. And um, these are people that I kind of met when I worked in Nemo's as well with Harriet Leander, like, you know. But um, they were people on the kind of on the in the hinterland of Galway they were doing great things but they didn't have enough outlets for them to kind of like mm. and then without the outlets there's less incentive like to yeah, of course, keep it yeah. up but like um, there was definitely something starting and then um, then the crash happened people lost their jobs and then they kind of looked at alternatives and what they could do and they go well I'd like to run a farm and then they'd run a farm for a while and see how that goes and then there was more kind of vegetable suppliers and um, that's when we opened up uh, an ear uh, with John Paul and Drigging and um, then use the same suppliers again and then there was more people came along no more people knocking on the door and yeah. they put us in touch with other people and it was all very um, grassroots like you know yeah. uh, it, was really, it was really fun like you know um, and it's grown into the goal that it is now like you know yeah. so what's the plans going forward I know that you're hoping to reopen in a few weeks in um, in Loam um, yeah so um, we're we're opening up bookings now and um, we're going to be open on the 16th of July um, so it's given us um, a bit of time to bed in and see what happens, see what the ground is like. Um, and um, yeah, we see, like with the bookings already are kind of brisk, so I think it's going to be a good end of the summer. But um, yeah, it's hard to know what's, what it's going to be like, the, yeah. the recovery, like, you know, um, I'm under no illusion that it's going to be easy, like, you know, so. Yeah. Um, but like, we, yeah, it'll be sure to be grand. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, what can you do? There's been like, I mean, look, the the government have given plenty of support, uh, maybe like not in the right direction, or but they have like given support to businesses like um, under kind of uh, difficult circumstances. Um, we see how they get on now. This is it's going to be a bit more difficult now. Yeah, this is when the real challenge. Yeah, like I mean, in. it's been grand, like kind of tipping away over the last while when everything's closed down. But like everyone's going to have different. I suppose wants and needs and uh, different regions are going to have different needs. So, like, I mean, if places like maybe not Galway City, but like Connemara, um, you know, South Kerry, uh, places like that they're going to rely on a lot of tourism. Are they going to get that in the winter time? You know, uh, coming into spring, like it's going to, that's a long time between. It could be a very short season for a lot of tourist locations this yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of places that won't open up again, you know. Um, mm. And like, what happens there, you know? Um, how do they get any sort of like 
recompensed like you know so um so it's going to be it'll, it's it's going to be uh, there's, there's going to be difficult times ahead but yeah. um yeah see what happens and what do you think of the the food scene at the moment what do you what are you interested in what are you seeing that's happening that's uh, I suppose the transition to uh, more plant-based dishes I'm kind of interested in, you know, and um, and using less meat because uh, we're kind of that's our challenge now going back. Um, it's be even though like we've always been kind of conscious of uh, what we use and where it comes from, like, but we just kind of want to push it a little bit further now, like you know, mm. and um, um, I always find this question difficult because uh, we always try to be even though it mightn't appear all the time, we always try to kind of um, make ourselves better, you know, in yeah. what we do, uh, especially behind the scenes, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah um, Would you be kind of the mindset then that you should really just, like, look at your own patch of grass and not be worrying about what someone else is doing? Yeah, to, to an extent, like, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, set the example more than anything else. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just interesting because, you know, I... I second what you're saying. I think there's definitely way better options now. I can only imagine what it must have been like to be a vegetarian or a vegan, especially in somewhere like the West of Ireland, like five or ten years ago. It'd be very difficult. And you know, on the flip side, while there are some of these are great locations, we seem to have hit peak burger as well. Like you can throw a stick and eat a burger now, like you know. Um. Yeah. I mean, like that, that's like that's the second time the, the burger craze like always since I've been here. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'm sure you remember the last the last uh, there's a lot of burger places all over the place. Um. Can't beat a good burger if it's if it's made well, yeah. like you know. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a, a treat. Um, but uh, you, like, I'm gonna eat it every day. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's definitely fast food. It's not good for you. Um, yeah. But like, there's nothing wrong with having a treat, you know. There's a place for everything, I suppose. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. These things come in waves. Um, if if people want them, they'll buy it, and if they don't, then. Yeah, yeah, something else will come along, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, like operators, are supposed to want to find the easiest way of making money, and uh, I, I, uh, they shouldn't need the food industry. So yeah, it doesn't really happen, like you know. Um, yeah. it was uh, there was something else I was going to say there, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, and what about Ain? Any ideas what you might be thinking there? Yeah. Um, so we we did open up nighttime there. Um, for I think two, two or three nights just before Christmas, um, just to see, like, just to kind of give an idea of what it, what it was going to be like. So it's um, small plates. It's a wine bar, you know. Um, interesting wines, uh, interesting things to eat and share, and uh, joviality and people touching each other's faces and stuff. Like yeah. that, you know, um, <laughs> and just kind of chilling out. And then, you know, like I say, uh, it is a show on in the Druid. Uh, the doors will open up and people will pile in and then have some wine and shriek with laughter and uh, yeah. jump around and wave their arms in mad ways and yeah. maybe hit each other in the face. Yeah. And, good times know, ahead, yeah? Good times ahead, hopefully now, uh, if people remember how to do all those things. But yeah, um, yeah. and then I suppose there'll be a lot of, um, you know, behaving awkwardly and not knowing how to make small talk anymore um, and uh, but we get over that I never knew how to do that anyway so it's funny you can 100% see it sometimes in in Tree Park here like people who come in and you're like clearly you're the only social interaction that day or possibly that week based on some people's <laughs> behaviour yeah no I find myself doing that because um, uh, I used to hate standing around making small talk but now <laughs> I do it all the time I just like uh, and then uh, to the point where people feel uncomfortable <laughs> they're kind of edge away from me so uh, it's quite funny as well but yeah 
That's fair enough. So, Enda, before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to mention? Any va- valuable lessons that you've learned along the way about food and sustainability? Um, yeah, I'm sure there's like many, many things that uh, I've learned along the way that I can't think of right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting um, fifteen months because um, I've never been like off work for this long, like you know, mm. uh, and and focusing on something else. I suppose looking at food from a different angle as well, uh, outside of like just uh, like as a as a business person or as a chef or, uh, or someone like you know working in a restaurant or whatever, like you know, um, like yeah, it's yeah, it's, I have a lot to digest over the next while. Yeah. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, okay, so thanks so much to Ender for joining us. Um, we'll put links to kind of a lot of the stuff you mentioned there. I think in the show notes, and uh, we will catch you next one. Cool. Bye.